0: call Kevin Brooker today. 800-975-6717. Do it today.
1: This is Kevin Brooker. Welcome to Cruising Through Retirement. You know, the rapid evolution of retirement planning has grown by leaps and bounds in the last few decades. And it'd be a shame to not take advantage of what we can do with the help of the new financial planning tools and strategies from the past 40 or 50 years and retire the traditional, quote unquote, retirement that our parents and grandparents knew. So, let's find out how it has evolved. We're going to cover the details right here, right now.
2: You found Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker.
0: Welcome in everybody. This is cruising through retirement. Kevin Brookers here. I'm Steve Siddall. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with Silverleaf Financial. More than thirty years helping folks getting to and through retirement, and uh, I like what you're talking about here, Kevin. Hi,
1: how are you? I I'm great, Steve. It is always good to be here. And and yeah, you know what? There's there's a lot of us that grew up, you know, with a parent that had a pension plan. Yep. And and, uh, you know, the a lot of folks think about retirement like like uh, the same as they did maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, or maybe the same as their parents or grandparents. And and a lot has changed over that period of time, just like just like with everything else. Right. So much has changed. And, and I think it's important that one of the first things that we that everybody recognizes that, unfortunately, most of us don't have a pension plan anymore. Um, there was a point in time where I think, uh, you know, most people that, uh, you know, most people working people did have access to a pension plan through their company, even if it was in the private sector. Uh, I know my, my father, for instance, he was uh, a union guy. He was an operating engineer. If you know the, the, the big scraper, the bulldozers and the scrapers and the big right. heavy equipment that, uh, you know, that they uh, clear out the dirt with and set it up before they can really lay, lay any roads or sidewalks or anything else. And so he did that. And because of the union, he had a, he had a pension plan. So he was able to retire at the age of 60, and he lived a perfectly enjoyable retirement for 33 years. He didn't pass wow. until, you know, until 93. And the reason he was able to do it is because he had a pension plan uh, that included cost of living adjustments, by the way, um, and he had a fantastic health care plan all through the union. And, and so I grew up a very, you know, as you might imagine, pro-union household. Sure, um, because of those benefits and because they took care of they took care of the people. in fact, as negotiating as a large group of people you've got a lot more power than negotiating as an individual of course. You know? and, and so but it was because of those two things. because he had an excellent health insurance plan that covered his, his medical bills, my mother's medical bills, and he had a pension that adjusted with inflation. he was able to live very well off of his social Security and then the, the small amount of savings that he had. Uh, My father was never a wealthy man, but, but he, he, he did very well. He did well enough to take care of him and his, him and his family and his wife. And he was able to, you know, retire and move to Florida and enjoy the, you know, the pool in the backyard and all those things. I like it. Right. So to me, it's important to recognize that because what we, you know, when they first set up social security back in the thirties, they talked, they talked about this three legged stool that everybody was supposed to retire on and the three, the three legs of the stool, Right was Social Security, after they put that in force, that pension plan from work, and your personal savings, right? Those were the three legs. Your Social Security check, guys, is really only supposed to be about a third of your total retirement income. It, is, it was never meant, never expected, and never thought to be your only source of retirement income. Uh, it was just supposed to be supplemental. and And so what we need to do is figure out how we're going to replace that pension that we don't have. How, uh, how are you going to set up your two-thirds that you're responsible for to make sure you've got the income that you need to last you as long as you need it to last? All right. And, and that's again, a good the, advisor. And help. that's where you come in, right? That is exactly right. That's where a good advisor can help you out.
0: I like this talking about a traditional retirement versus a modern retirement. And, and um, yeah, you described it well in terms of what it was like before. And so let's, let's transition. What is the difference? How do we make it a modern retirement? Um, I mean, we're living longer. We know that.
1: Yes. That's one of the biggest risks, actually. Longevity risk. That is the biggest risk in my, in my humble opinion. Um, You know, when, when they first set up social security back in, I, I believe it was 1933, um, then they they established Social Security and with the payments to start at 62, I think I'm, I, your life expectancy, guys, was basically 62. All right? Sure. No, it, yeah, was, it
0: was 65, right?
1: It was. It was. It was. You know, I've seen different studies. Some of okay. them actually showing 60, 61, others 64, 65, and so. Okay. So that's why I say it was basically 62. in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, because different studies have shown different ages. But the fact is, it was not expected that you would be collecting the money for decades, let alone even more than a couple of years. And right. and so uh, what's happened with medical science and all the advances in medical science and medicine and healthcare, you know, they've figured out how to extend our lives considerably. Just in, in, in the last century, yeah, I mean I, I wanna say people that were born in nineteen hundred, I believe your life expectancy, you know, was between fifty five and sixty. And 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 people born you know when I was when I was born not to date myself but I believe it was about 75 life expectancy and it was going up 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 until COVID hit and then it you know fell back down, but the fact is we're living a lot longer uh, than in the past and because of that you might have like my father had a 33 year retirement, and if you do have that longer retirement obviously we've got to make sure we've got enough money, not just to pay for it when we retire, but to make sure we have enough money that as inflation continues throughout your retirement you're still going to be able to live that lifestyle that you want to live and and that's the important part I think a lot of people are missing I think they're underestimating how much inflation possibly could be in the future well of course
0: and and we certainly have had a, a crash course in inflation in the last year and a half
1: oh well, we have for sure and and, and you know what I, I certainly don't like it I, I I probably complain you know a couple times a week I, I'll complain about you know the cost of something. And, sure. uh, you know, the latest is the going, going out and I, I don't think you can buy a cheeseburger for less than 15 bucks anymore. And, I think you're right. You know, <laughs> like what is going on? I'm seeing, you know, French fries for like $8 and I'm saying, this is just crazy. Right. And so, but I, on the positive side, I think it's actually a really good reminder. I think it is a really good lesson that everybody has been reminded of that we can't take it for granted that the prices are going to stay the same. In fact, they might rise faster than your wages, Right. And, and the fact is a lot of people on that lower, I think it's about the lower quarter or lower third of the population, they're having a pretty tough time right now because that segment of the population doesn't have any money, doesn't really have much money put away. And they tend to live paycheck to paycheck. And so in, when you're in a situation like that and you've got your life dialed into a set expense level and then your know, prices go up 10, 15, 20 percent, well, now all of a sudden you, you've got a little bit of a problem, Right. And mm-hmm. so it's really important that we take a look at it. And, and we have to figure out how to replace that income. So we've got a longer life, right? And we have less sources of income. We don't have the pension that our parents and our grandparents had. My grandpa had one from Campbell Soup, spent his career at Campbell Soup, had a great pension plan. All right. But now we're living longer and we've got fewer resources available to us because we, most of us don't have that pension plan. Right. If, you're a, if you're a government employee, you might you might have one, but the rest of us are kind of out of luck. So it's really important that we understand this. We dial into it. And we stay committed to saving your money for retirement, and trying to put away as much as we can, so that when you do retire, you're going to be have you're going to have a nice nest egg put away, and you're going to be so happy that you were so disciplined for all those years, because now you can really enjoy your retirement.
0: That's what it comes down to: discipline over time.
1: It is. It's it's discipline, and I, I tell people it's discipline and commitment. You know, yeah. you got to remain committed to it. You have to commit to savings and your retirement accounts. You know, maybe more than you committed to your spouse. I don't know. Um, but it's a lifelong commitment, and it should be till death do you part. All right? You should stick with it. Make sure you stay with it. And don't don't take it up for anything. For In my opinion, you shouldn't tap your retirement account for anything other than retirement. And whether that's a child or a relative uh, or you get laid off, you know, I, I think that should be the very, very, very last thing you do, Um, tap your retirement, because the fact is a lot of people that do that, they never pay it back. They wind up paying penalties, and then they wind up uh, hurting themselves because when they do want to retire, they just don't have enough money to do it. Sure.
0: Well, and, and again, that's the sad news. I mean, that's the sad part of this.
1: It, it really is. It really is. You know, and, and, and so there's been the shift from pensions, right, to 401Ks, yep. which is the employer saying, you know what, guys, we don't want to be responsible for that anymore because you guys are living too long. And it's You're awesome. on your own. You're on your own. It's costing us too much money. And uh, there was just actually in, in Illinois, where I, me and my wife moved from Illinois uh, 12, 13 years ago. And Illinois is known, for anybody watching, um, they've had a mess of their pension plans and their pension system for a long time. Right, uh, I remember. You know, in fact, that's one of the reasons we left, because I didn't see any way they're going to resolve this without really raising taxes and fees and expenses to try to cover it. And uh, and they actually just did something where they combined, like, a, I don't know, hundreds of pension plans into, like, two. And... So we'll see how that turns out. Um, you know, the, the people on the, in those plans didn't want it to happen. Um, but that, that's what they're doing there. So let's talk, though, about how you can set up your own personal pension. Yeah, plan, well, let's right? do that. How do we do it, Kevin? How do we do it? You know what? Well, the first thing, there is that old rule of thumb, right, about you can have money in stocks and bonds, and you can have a 4% withdrawal rate, and that is a high probability that you won't run out, is what they tell you. And I can show you the projections, we can run the mathematics, we can do the statistics, and I can show you the probabilities on it. And that's the thing to remember. It's a, it's a high probability, but it's not a guarantee, okay? And the issue with, let's say you've got a million-dollar portfolio and you've got a 4% withdrawal rate, that means you could take out $40,000 a year on a million, okay? And that number mm-hmm. is lower than most people think. Whenever, nine times out of 10, I bring that up and they're shocked at how low that number is, all right? But the problem is, guys... Let's say that you retired in in 1990 and you left all your money in the stock market. The market had a fantastic decade. You did fantastically well and you didn't really see any bad down years for, you know, what, 10 or 11 years until the early 2000s. And so because of that, the sequence of returns that that person had was very good because they retired into a long extended bull market and their portfolio grew tremendously in the first several years of the retirement. And so they had a great retirement. And they were able to take out the money they needed and they never had any trouble. Mm -hmm. However, that sequence risk that I'm talking about, it's the sequence of return risk. And what that means is now imagine you retired in 2000 and you left everything in the stock market. And then 2000, 2001, 2002, now it's cut in half. The market got cut in half over that two and a half year period. So your million dollars is now a half million. So now if you want to take that 40,000 a year, your withdrawal rate would be 8%. And there is no advisor that, I'm, that I've am that i ever met uh, or know of that will tell you you can take out 8% and expect that portfolio to last you through retirement. It's just not going to, because we know there's going to be some years in there where the market is down 20%, 25%. We know, just look at history, all right? And that's something a lot of people forget, Steve, and that, that really, it kind of drives me a little bit crazy, is thats that... Is that People don't look back at market history and realize that on an average normal year, the market moves 17% between its high and its low for the year. Within that year, guys. Within the year. Within 12 months, the market normally has a 17% range. And in the finance world, we call that standard deviation. So Mm -hmm. all you need to do to figure out how much something goes up and down is look at the measurement called standard deviation. I know maybe some, maybe some people think that's a fancy term or something, but the fact is that's what it measures. It measures how much something goes up or down. And the S&P 500 index is what I'm referring to that has an average of 17% volatility every year, average, all right? So obviously that means there can be years where it's less and there can be years where it's more, right? And we've lived through those. So the biggest problem for somebody coming up to retirement when we say, are you in that red zone, which is the 10-year period before retirement, is that if you keep all your money in the market, there is a chance you could lose some of it, if not a lot of it, because there have been even 10-year periods of time where the markets were down. Just go back and imagine if you loaded up in the stock market in the beginning of 2000, right? If you did that, let's say you bought the S&P 500 index in, I don't know, February of 2000, right? Then it went down. It, you know, it went down in, in 2000, down again in 01, and down again in 02. And now you're down like 50% of your money, Right. Now it starts to come back. And just think about the anxiety if you're retired or getting ready to retire, seeing your portfolio value go down and down and down as you want to retire. I and mean, I think that would be extremely stressful. And then markets start to pick back up and, you know, oh, three 04, 05, six, then seven comes along. You just, just got back your head above water for maybe two or three months, maybe four months, and then boom, turns around, gets hit with the housing recession, the great recession, or whatever you want to call it goes back down again. Steve, it took another four or five years from there to get back until your head is above water. So all in, it took 12 or 13 years for you to get back to break even, guys. This is not to making money. This is just being to the point where you're not losing money, okay? And if you want to keep it simple, just look at Microsoft. Just pull up a chart on Microsoft, a long-term chart on Microsoft, and look at where it was in 2000, and then look how long it took to get back to where you're profitable, okay? But it's not just profitable, Right. Because you could look at it and say, well, Kevin, if it took me 12 years, you know what, right now I can get a 6% guarantee on a 10 year investment. I can guarantee anybody 6% right now today for 10 years, compound interest, guaranteed, no risk, no fees. So that's me up. Right. <laughs> which, yeah. I think, which I think is a really good number because um, it's the highest guys. It's the highest it has been in almost 20 years. Right. Jeez. I mean, and, wow. Right. And so you look at that and you say, okay, what if I put that money into that fixed investment at 6%, right? 6% after 12 years is going to basically double, okay? The rule of 72, all right? Rule of 72, you do the math, however many, so if you're making 36% a year, it should double in two years. If you're making 12%, it should double in six years, all right? Or 6% takes 12 years, okay? So in that 12-year period, your your 100,000 or your million would have turned into 2 million, so you really shouldn't look at it and say, oh, I'm back above, I'm, I'm above what I paid for it. But you're nowhere near where you could have been if you just put it into a fixed interest account, all right? So to get back to that point, I haven't even, I haven't even calculated that, but I bet you that's more like 17, 18, 19 years. Um, so, and the thing is, we know that there's no guarantees with the stock market, right? So my message and what I would like to tell everybody is that whatever we're going to do for income, my preference is to have it gar- be guaranteed, so one, one thing to do, a lot of people I'm talking to about these days, I am suggesting just living off of interest, all right? For a piece of your portfolio, let's put it in a guaranteed interest vehicle, which is our fixed annuities, plain vanilla fixed annuity. It's just like a CD, except you don't have to pay any tax on the interest until you actually withdraw the money. Unlike a CD, you've got to pay it, you know, each as it, as it accrues, unless it's an IRA. Um, so it's a set interest rate. There's no fees. It's a guaranteed contractually guaranteed rate of six percent per year compound interest. All right, which to me is very, very attractive. So if you put a million dollars in there, you know you're gonna get sixty grand a year in interest, so you got five thousand dollars a month guaranteed with no risk of loss, no risk of, of of losing that money, and at the end of the 10 years you still have your million dollars sitting there for you to do whatever you want with. All right.
0: Ah, you're relaxing me. <laughs> Just telling the story. It's like, oh, that's exactly
1: what you want. That's, I mean, t- i tell you what, that's what I want. Then that, yeah. that's that's actually something that I'm doing personally for me and my wife. I'm doing the fixed interest investments. I'm, we're going to live off of interest with some of our money. Other money is in stocks. Other money is in treasuries, you know, and, and other money is in other annuities. And and so I, be- I believe that y- the answer is to have all of it. I don't, you know, I, I, it really bothers me when I see like a stockbroker say, oh, why would you ever buy an annuity? You should have everything in the stock market. I think that's I think that's crazy, by the way. And, that, yeah. and, and I also don't like it when the insurance guys say you should only have your money in annuities. Why take the risk of the stock market? All right? Because the fact is stocks have done better than every other asset class over the long term, okay? So what I like to do is is allocate, right? So if you have a million dollars, maybe put 300 grand into some annuities for safety or for interest or what have you and and split the money up, right? Split it up, put 300 grand in bonds and maybe put three or 400,000 in stocks. I don't know, but the point is, We want to mix it up based on your risk tolerance, how comfortable you are with risk, and how comfortable you are with the volatility. You know what? Some people will say, Kevin, if I can get 6%, I can live on that. I don't need to take the risk of the stock market. And and that is also something that I'll say to a lot of people, Steve, is that if you can do what you want to do and you can live the lifestyle you want to live off of guaranteed interest, then I would seriously question whether you need to have anything in the stock market, all right? It could be a very good hedge against long-term inflation, all right? You know, but there is risk. And so it comes down to what are you most comfortable with? What makes the most sense for your situation? And that's how I build portfolios. But I want to start off talking about how much risk do you want to take? Do you want to have all your entire portfolio at risk? Or maybe we I would hope not. Right. Maybe peel off a piece. I hope not, too. I, I don't think anybody should have the whole portfolio at risk unless you're young. If you're young, let's say you're, you know, 40 year below 40 or something or below 45, then you still have at least 20 years to go. And, and the reason I say that is because so far there has never been a 20-year period where you'd have lost money in stocks. So whether you bought the stock in, in 1945 to 1965 or you know, 1977 to 1997 or 2003 to 2023, any 20-year period, the market, the S&P 500, has always made money. So, but that's the long term. It's a 20-year period, guys. It's not five years or 10 years. It's 20 years. So if you've got at least 20 years to go, then you should have good confidence that stocks will do well over that period of time. Just remember that it's not guaranteed. You know, what some, you know I've, it surprised me the first time I heard this, but I sat down with a guy a while back. This is several years ago. And we're talking about investments. And I talked about diversification and different asset classes. And he goes, but that's not how you get rich, though. And I said, well, I, I said, yeah, you can get very rich over a long period of time. And he says, he says, I think you have to be concentrated. I think you have to have highly concentrated positions if you really want to accumulate wealth. And, and, and what he then started talking about is the, the CEOs of the big tech companies like Elon Musk, you know, world's richest man because of Tesla stock, right? Jeff Bezos, one of the richest because of Amazon stock and so on. And, and so that was his argument. And so I told I told him, I said, you know, I said, that can work if you're lucky. And it's easy to look, and look back in the rearview mirror, right? But it's a lot harder if you go back to 1998 or 1999 when Amazon is, I don't know, 75 cents or something, and it goes up to a dollar and then comes back down to 50 cents. And it's really hard to imagine it, you know, holding on for 25 years, you know, because you have no idea where it's going to go. And then I said, you know, I talked to a couple, I I met a couple that had both retired, but worked at um, MCI WorldCom. They both worked there and they had all their money in their 401k, which at at the time they received their match with with MCI WorldCom shares of stock. They had virtually all their net worth in in WorldCom. And then unfortunately those of you that remember that company went out of business. I remember. Right. So both the husband and the wife lost their jobs and they lost over 80% of their portfolio worth. Wow. Because they had it so concentrated in that one in that one company.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so, but- you know, there's no question it's possible. You could load up on one or two or three stocks whatever they are. And make a fortune off it if you hold it long enough. But it's also possible you could lose a large part of your money, right? Sure. So let's remember there's two sides, right? That knife cuts both ways.
0: 800-975-6717 if you want to reach out to Kevin. You can also find out more at the website silverleaffinancial.com, silverleaffinancial.com. Uh, Kevin, let's take a turn here. Let's uh, we've got some questions that've kind of been building up here. Let's uh, let's jump oh. in and answer a couple of questions.
1: You know what? Let's do it. Sounds good. All
0: right. Kristen's up first and she's wondering, my husband and I are married and filing jointly. We make about $150,000 combined and are in our late 40s. Neither of us have a 401k, but we do have thirty thousand dollars in a traditional IRA, fifty thousand in a high yield savings account, and I still need to make the sixty five hundred dollar IRA contribution for 2023. Should I put it in my uh, traditional IRA or in the Roth? Uh,
1: you know, with, you know that's a, that's a really good question, and I believe you said you're in they're in their 40s, right? Right, late uh, 40s. Yeah, so in my my opinion, I would. It sounds like you don't have any money in a Roth so far. You mentioned the traditional IRA and the savings. So, my opinion, I would actually put it in a Roth. I know you're in a higher tax bracket right now, but it's but you're not in the highest tax bracket, and and so if if putting the money into a Roth wouldn't kick you up into the next level income tax bracket, I would advise to put it into the Roth because I I talk many times about how you know it. I would rather pay the tax on the seed, plant it, let it grow into this amazing crop and have this entire crop be tax-free, as opposed to the reverse, which is what a lot of people do. They get the tax break on the seed, they let it grow, and then they wind up paying tax on the entire crop. So I think, personally, I think if you've got at least a 10-year horizon, I think a Roth IRA is the way to go.
0: Sure. All right. And uh, so give us a call or uh, visit the website. Kristen, uh, Kevin, would be happy to help you. Uh, Let's see. Joanna's got a question. She says, my husband died about six months ago and left me a significant amount of life insurance. It's much more money than we ever had during our 30 year marriage. What's the best first step for me to take in deciding how to handle it financially
1: speaking? Uh, Well, Joanna, I would say uh, I'm glad to hear your husband has those life set up those life insurance policies and that and that you're fortunate to have that money. I would say the first thing is don't do anything. That's the first thing to do. Don't do anything yet. Don't do anything too quickly. Make sure you take your time. I typically advise people when there's been a death in the family, especially a spouse that, you know, situation you've been married a long time to move slowly because there's a lot of emotions swirling around. Most people are still grieving after six months. And so I would be very cautious about making any long-term commitments. My suggestion would be to just put the money in a high-yield savings account for right now. You can get a 5% interest rate on a money market. I would put it into a good money market and let it sit there as you look around, talk to different advisors and evaluate different alternatives. But take your time so you can put together, they can work with you to put together a plan that makes sense for you now at this stage of your life. But don't t- make any rash decisions, please.
0: And I think that's great advice, Kevin, just because you're right. There's there's so much emotion. And and I know in my own life, my my mom died and my dad just made all kinds of bad decisions. And and it was, I mean, he just went crazy. And it was not, I mean, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant for anybody. So yeah, take your time.
1: (laughs) Definitely, definitely take your time. Talk to more than one people, more than one person, you know, get different ideas, listen to different perspectives, you know, in other words, if you, if you talk to somebody that says stock market, that's fine. If you talk to somebody that says annuities, that's fine too. But make sure you hear about all of them. So you hear about the benefits of different investment strategies. And maybe you'll find you don't even need to take the risk of the stock market because you can live off the interest like we talked about before. Sure. But yeah, Steve, I've, I've I've ran into that too. And guys, the other thing, just to give you a heads up, there are stock brokers and there are financial advisors that use obituary and death notices as a prospecting list, okay? Okay. That's what they do. They follow the obituaries. They follow the death notices, just like other companies do. You'll notice when somebody passes, you all of a sudden start getting a bunch of mail that you didn't get before. Right. It's, it's because they, want, they know there's a good chance you got some life insurance money and they want to be there right away, just like a you know, vulture sweeping in on someone. Because <laughs> that's right? what
0: it is. I mean, you know, that's where the, uh, the term ambulance chaser for lawyers came out.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Right it, because it, they just wait for things to happen and just jump in. And then they try to take advantage of it, right? Yep. Yep. And they, exactly. and they and they know that you're weaker emotionally because you're dealing with a big loss. So the best thing I could suggest is go slow. I like to say wait 12 months. It doesn't it's not necessarily a hard number, but I think it's important to wait more than six months.
0: Sure. All right. And uh, so there you go, Joanna. Lenny is also wondering. um, He says, I've got $75,000 sitting in my checking account at the bank. Now, this is not part of my emergency fund. What can I do with this money to put it to work for me? Thanks in advance. There's a good good problem to have.
1: Yeah, that is a good problem to have, Lenny. But um, I would really need more information before I could tell you what to do with it. Um, this is where we get into, you know, if you've got worked with a broker or a financial advisor, uh, at one point they should have talked about risk and probably given you some papers with questions and they're taught. And, and this is what I'm referring to is called a risk assessment. And this is how we figure out, you know, are you comfortable with stocks? You know, if, if, if somebody says to me, um, they want stock market ret- returns, but, uh, they can't tolerate a loss of more than 10%, then we have a disconnect, Right. Because like I said a little while ago on the show, the stock market on average will fluctuate 17%. So, yeah. if you say, so if a person says they don't want to lose 10, then I say you shouldn't be in stocks. All right. So, so that's what we need to figure out, whether it's stocks or bonds or mutual funds or, or maybe you're comfortable with the 6% interest rate that I mentioned earlier, too. Um, so I would, I would say that you need to sit down. We need to talk a little bit more. And then I'd be happy to give you there's a lot of ways you can definitely do better than checking. If nothing else, move that into a money market so you're at least getting 4 or 5% interest while you figure this out.
0: Sure. But again, it's a great way to, I mean, it's a great question, Lenny. And and, and again, it seems an easy, easy solution that that could have a real positive effects.
1: Oh, no question about it. No question. You're doing the right, you're doing the right thing just by reaching out. And so I do, I do appreciate that question. And I'm not trying to be evasive, but I just want to make sure that you get what, you know, that you get involved, uh, that you invest in what's most appropriate for your situation. Sure.
0: All right. Uh, okay, we'll wind up with Ray here. Ray says when people give that general goal for retirement, the 75 to 85% of your working income, is that net or gross? And, and does that still hold true?
1: You know, you know what, that's another moving target, actually. But I'm going to say that's based that's net income. Okay, net okay. is what you spend. net is what you spend. So depending on I would I would look at net income, because you could be in a totally different tax bracket, right? If, you know, whatever income, whatever tax bracket you're in before, if you're in a really high tax bracket, you know, maybe there won't be as much income tax coming out in your retirement. So I want to look at net dollars and I'm going to say I think 75 is too low. Uh, I would say more like 85 to 90 percent um some people actually spend more in retirement than they did before they retired
0: well i understand that because you want to start doing what
1: you worked for all your life to go out and enjoy life enjoy your and you know enjoy yourself exactly that's what i I talked to my wife about it you know because i'm I'm in that retirement red zone and i talked to her and i say, well you know i could probably retire now but i don't know if we'll ever be able to take another vacation you know and so (laughs) right and so it's like all right i guess i need to keep working and because and, you want you want to be able to travel. You want to be able to visit your family and your friends. You probably have some hobbies that, that are not free. You know, if anybody that golfs, I was talking to one of my clients yesterday. Uh, she's paying over 50 bucks just to play nine holes now. Okay, just for nine holes on oh a golf gosh. course. And and uh, 52, $52 to play nine holes. Um, and so, you know, if you're doing that once a week, that's two, over 200 bucks a month just on the golf. So chances are you're going to drink. You might have a few beverages, right? Yeah, Uh, you're going to have to pay for gasoline and maintenance on your car to get back and forth. So there's a lot of expenses that can come up. So I think it's important when you're uh, one thing that you could do is you want to go through your statements, go through your checking account, your bank statements, and look at what expenses you're incurring now that you are not going to incur when you retire. In other words, maybe if you do a ton of driving now, you know, for work and you're paying for that gas bill, that's something you could save. If you spend a lot of money on dry cleaning or, or a lot of money on the clothes or the outfits that you wear, that should be done when you work, right? But if you're somebody if you're somebody that does not commute, if you're somebody that works at home right now, your expenses might not change much at all. Because you're not commuting, you're not paying parking fees. Hopefully you're not going to Starbucks every day to buy the $8 coffee. Um, you know, so your expenses might not change at all. So it all depends on your lifestyle. But I think if you use a figure of ninety percent, you'd be much more in the ballpark than down at seventy-five.
0: I'm more of a hundred and ten percent guy.
1: Do <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at, that's actually what I look at, Steve. I look at 100%. I just, I'm looking at the same and, th- and then I'm adding inflation to it. Well, yeah, you got to Right? Because if, yeah. I mean, guys, if you've got a 25 or 30 year retirement, there's a really good chance that you're going to be paying twice. Whatever you paid in the beginning of the retirement, you, it's probably going to double by the end of your retirement. And, and so you want to, we all have to make sure we've got other income sources we can tap to help us deal with inflation. And I've talked about laddering investments that you can start at different points in time and that's a way that you can address inflation. You can have an investment that you don't start pulling from until you're 70 and another one you don't start pulling from until you're 75. Something like that so that you have different sources you can activate and turn on to generate more income as time goes by. And that way you'll be able to maintain the lifestyle that you want to live and you're probably going to be enjoying it all the while.
0: Wow. You summed it up so nicely. Oh, hey. it's, a great it's a great way to
1: end things. So uh, what's, your, what's your take on the market this week? You know what? The the market, the economy came in. We had another GDP report that came in. The economy grew, what, 3.3%, I think? Yeah, I think that was the number. You know, so, the guys, the economy is doing well. And I know a lot of Republicans don't want to hear it, but the economy is doing well, all right? The Fed has done a good job, a very good job, I believe, of bringing inflation down. It's not down as far as they want, but I believe that they're close to the end of of, of interest rate hikes. Uh, I don't believe there's going to be six cuts like some people think. So I think we could see some volatility if there's some changes in inflation, but I like, I like the market. It looks good. The valuations look good. I think you keep on investing, stick with your long-term plan. Just look at, look at reallocating or rebalancing. If there's something that feels too much risk for you.
0: That sounds fantastic, Kevin. And, and uh, again, that's a, it's been a, it's been a fun show. It goes by really quick. Oh, you know what? It, it always goes by faster than I expect,
1: you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I hope you guys, I uh, hope you guys found it helpful.
0: do it today.